private corporations with the power to police and jail peaceful land defenders. Oil and gas interests ordering the violent arrest of indigenous peoples. You're listening to a special bonus episode of Raven Debriefs. I'm your host, Susan Smitten. Good evening and thanks for joining us. After weeks of illegal blockades of railway lines in support of a group of Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, there's still no resolution in sight. If completed, the coastal gas link pipeline would supply natural gas to LNG Canada, which is building an $18 billion terminal in Kitimat, BC. It would export liquefied natural gas to Asia. The rail lines uh, are carrying as well, more than ever before, because of the lack of pipelines. There's lots of oil in that. Everything is, is uh, dependent on these rails. We understand on this side of the house that reconciliation remains a priority, not just for our government, but for all Canadians. Acting in solidarity with their Wet'suwet'en neighbors, in 2020, the Gitsan occupied the tracks to demand an end to a militarized RCMP invasion of their neighboring Wet'suwet'en's unceded territories. At the December 6th Supreme Court hearing, Crown prosecutors declined to prosecute land defenders, arguing that jailing peaceful protesters is not in the public's interest. But. B.C. Supreme Court Judge Branch allowed the trial to proceed, only this time with CN's lawyers serving as the prosecutors. That would give corporations the power to not only obtain injunctions to prevent peaceful Indigenous land protectors from defending unceded lands, but would also allow private companies to police and prosecute anyone who stood in the path of profits. To talk over the implications of allowing a multinational corporation sweeping powers to enforce multi-year injunctions on unceded Indigenous lands, we spoke with Dogwood's Kai Nagata. Yeah, so my name is Kai Nagata, and I work on staff at Dogwood, um, but I also live on Gixan territory. So my family has a a small farm up here and I moved up full-time a couple of years ago. Uh, I've spent some time trying to support what uh, locals call RailFest, which is a frontline service center and uh, encampment next to the CN Rail tracks in New Hazleton on Spoch territory. And so it's right in the middle of downtown New Hazleton. So there's four bars of cell service, there's a cop shop two blocks away, there's you know, people just walking back and forth to get groceries and whatnot. And it's a, it's a completely different vibe. I mean, the scenery is stunning, but it's, uh, it's not in the middle of the woods. You know, it doesn't have the same risks or accessibility issues, I suppose, as a, as a more remote camp. This is, uh, this is right in the middle of downtown. And so, you know, when you had the police show up with their green outfits and their helmets and their assault rifles, they were standing, you know, next to the auto glass shop uh, where I got my mom's windshield repaired with their hands on their guns right next to an elementary school. And it's right in the middle of community. And so people can stop by and drop off food and firewood and, and spend some time by the fire. And, and that's where we saw a couple of violent arrests in the middle of the Wet'suwet'en raids. A number of uh, SERG officers from the RCMP's Corporate Injunction Enforcement Unit were bussed over here in shuttle buses. And uh, 
conducted a couple of arrests of people who were engaged in solidarity actions, uh, who were outraged by the invasion of Wet'suwet'en land. And, and as their ancient allies and next door neighbors, the Gixan stepped in to defend the rights of the Wet'suwet'en and, and have been severely punished and criminalized as a result. So strategically, there have been rail blockades all across the country. What can rail blockades accomplish that's different from physically blocking supplies and workers from accessing coastal gas link sites? Well, rail blockades have historically been used by the Gixan at least as a measure of last resort to bring the government to the table to negotiate. And so well, the 80s and 90s, quite famously, there were a number of blockades around old growth logging up here. The chiefs and their families were extremely concerned about the pace and scale of clear cutting in, uh, in our northern forests. And so there were blockades of some of the logging roads, but when the government refused to negotiate, there were instances where really only a rail blockade would bring them to the table. And that's because it engages corporate Canada directly in a way that puts pressure on their bottom line. Again, since these railroad tracks were never consented to by the chiefs, no compensation was ever paid. There's There's been no treaty or bill of sale, you know, the chiefs have a very strong claim to the lands that these railroads cross, you know, when external issues like old growth logging or police violence require a response from the government that's not forthcoming, railroad blockades have been a way of quickly bringing those provincial negotiators to the table. However, we've seen that change. And two years ago in 2020, the response to hereditary chiefs stepping onto the railroad tracks in New Hazleton was a swift injunction and arrests by the RCMP with a really disturbing level of uh, punitive uh, legal action by CN Rail and, and no acknowledgement, let alone engagement by the provincial or the federal crown. So the, the picture has changed and we're now seeing basically the government allowing uh, these corporations to take like I said, very punitive measures, escalating court measures in order to basically try to punish and deter this kind of solidarity action in the future. You know, the rail blockades didn't come down as a sort of like bargaining chip or as part of a quid pro quo with the government. It was, you know, heavily armed officers moving in and physically arresting and removing the chiefs and their families. And, and that was separate from, but obviously related to the actions in, in Wet'suwet'en territory. So, you know, the Gixan explicitly demanded that their relatives and their allies be released and that the RCMP get off the uh, Wet'suwet'en territories. And instead, CN Rail sent in the RCMP to Gixan territory and had those chiefs arrested. I said, yeah. CN Rail was a crown corporation for many decades, and in 1995, uh, that changed. So Finance Minister Paul Martin sold CN Rail to private investors, mostly Americans, and ever since, it's been a private multinational logistics company. It operates in the U.S. and Canada. It has its own rail police, so although it's no longer a public entity, it retains a private security force with guns and powers of arrest uh, that call themselves police. It is an American-controlled, multinational corporation, hugely profitable. Uh, and I think that there's still some nostalgia 
for Canadians around the CN brand, which they uh, which they trade off of. But uh, you know, make no mistake, this is a company whose purpose is to move oil, you know, wood pellets, other other raw resources to ports on three coasts, and uh, and to move containers in the opposite direction. Their mo, and if anyone gets in the way of that, they have some very well-heeled lawyers, and like I said, the ability to call in swift arrest by the RCMP or by their own police force uh, if anybody is obstructing their uh, their profits. As we were preparing this story to go to air, CN Rail said it would not pursue criminal contempt charges against Gitsan defendants. But CN's injunction on Gitsan territory still stands, so the outrageous practice of private prosecution in BC remains one of the options available to corporations. Yeah, it's extremely grim. This is a, a slippery slope. The maximum penalty for criminal contempt, if, if convicted, is five years in prison. And so you face the very real prospect of hereditary chiefs and other Indigenous people being arrested for peacefully standing on their own land and being put in jail. So basically what companies do is they file usually a generic lawsuit, CN Rail versus Jane and John Doe. And it's a lawsuit to prevent economic harms from coming to the company. And the injunction is basically to stop anybody from stepping onto what CN Rail claims as their property and causing them economic harm. And so people were arrested under that injunction order. And basically, if you stand there and the cops read you the injunction and you say, I don't recognize CN's uh, property claims here, then you get arrested and you're held in contempt of court for defying that injunction order. There's very good reasons why. Indigenous people, especially in this part of the world, would have no reason to recognize CN's claim to their territory. People chose not to obey that court order because they were obeying their own laws. And in this part of the world, Gixan and Wet'suwet'en law comes with very specific responsibilities to individual territories. And so the people who were arrested were all either hereditary chiefs or, or members of those whelp or house group. Though they have stated they don't intend to pursue criminal contempt of court charges against Gitsan hereditary chiefs, CN Rail could still try to prosecute for civil contempt. The company may well also proceed with their $200 million lawsuit for damages. But as we'll hear from Gwich'in lawyer Chris Statnick, that opens the question of whose law, Indigenous or Canadian, really prevails on these unceded territories. My name is Chris Statnick. I'm a citizen of the Vantagwichin First Nation. I am a lawyer um, working uh, for Indigenous peoples on issues of self-determination and title and rights and governance. I live uh, on the Gitsan Lakiyip, on the territory of Spoke in New Hazleton, BC, uh, with my uh, wife and son, who are from the House of Sokum Higok within the Gitsan Nation, from uh, the Lakskik Eagle Clan. From my perspective, you know, what we're seeing with private corporations prosecuting uh, Indigenous title holders in particular for 
uh, breaching injunction orders. It really represents a concerning trend that undermines, I think, the important Crown Indigenous relationship that is supposed to exist and the obligations that the Crown holds towards upholding, you know, the constitutional recognition and affirmation of Indigenous rights under Section 35 of Canada's Constitution. The implementation and protection of Gitsan and, and what's owed in title within Canadian law, within British Columbia law, um, continues to be delayed at the same time that, you know, private corporations are continued to run roughshod over title lands. However, with these injunction proceedings being brought against title holders by private corporations for doing simply that, continuing on the practice and existence of their title, the courts in these injunction proceedings are unwilling to really give consideration to the existence uh, of that title. And so I think in sort of simple terms, we're seeing the purely commercial interests of private corporations. We're seeing those being privileged and given more weight than the constitutional rights of title holders. You know, even more concerning is the private corporations themselves that are prosecuting the title holders for taking these actions, effectively setting conditions for how, when, and where they may use and occupy their title lands. From my perspective, this is having the effect of, of making that important constitutional recognition and affirmation, you know, that promise of protection and implementation ring quite hollow. Throughout all of this, while private corporations continue to profit from exercise of denial and avoidance, the crown is completely absent and missing. They're not part of the proceedings. They're not showing up to say, hey, no, we're aware of all this evidence that came out in the Delgamook trial over 300 plus days of how um, these nations used and occupied their lands in accordance with their laws. We've also recognized in an MOU that they have title and rights throughout their yinta. You know, we don't see the Crown stepping up in any way while these private corporations are directing what title holders are able to do. It's not something I would say is new. For example, the Yellowhead Institute did a study in 2019 which showed sort of this overwhelming imbalance between situations where, you know, Indigenous rights holders, when they go to court and seek an injunction trying to restrain private companies from doing things that would impact their rights negatively, that the courts are not as willing to grant those injunctions. It's almost the, the opposite, you know, now when private companies are seeking these injunctions in the face of Indigenous rights. That should be concerning for definitely all Indigenous peoples and rights holders, but I think Canadians need to really reflect on what this means and, you know, whether this is something that they see as being part of the commitments to reconciliation that they want to see. I would be really concerned if I was a private company about opening up um, those can of worms. CN Rail right away, for example, throughout the Gitsan Lake Yip is something that was never consented to by the title holders ever. 
uh, from their perspective is a you know ongoing and continuing trespass with a lot of uh, resources and riches on a daily basis go past their communities through their communities causing impacts themselves to the land uh, without sort of any redress or remedy that's um, ever been provided and so there's a lot that these things can unopen and unearth I do think, you know, the Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en are facing increased, from my perspective, intimidation, forms of harassment, things that do occur globally where Indigenous peoples are affected by private corporations and are um, being criminalized in other jurisdictions around the world. Um, the fact that we're seeing a, a creep of our society and towards those more extreme forms of criminalization and harassment um, is is troubling and I do think it is reflective though of the strength and the power that um, the title holders uh, of the Gitsan and Wet'suwet'en do hold. It indicates I think from the perspective of industry and private corporations this potential future where um, they might not be able to dictate what happens on the land anymore. That might be Indigenous peoples with visions towards more sustainable ways of living and, and using the land, you know, might prevail. Companies like CN Rail and Coastal Gas Link also need to really think twice about proceeding, um, not just with the prosecutions of the breaches of injunctions, uh, but, you know, like in the case of CN, where they have this underlying lawsuit claiming, you know, over $270 million in damages against Kitsan title holders. Both Coastal Gas Link and CN Rail had to actually initiate a private lawsuit against these title holders in order to just go and apply and get their injunctions, which are intended really to be just sort of temporary measures until the full hearing and trial of those lawsuits can be heard. You know, they're really just sort of to preserve the status quo. But in practice, it's being left entirely up to these private companies whether or if they actually do proceed to a trial. And so in effect, you're having these injunctions which are intended to be sort of more temporary, being sort of more indefinite with no expiry date, and also sort of denying the ability in a full trial for you know, title holders to raise legal defenses based on their title, based on their rights, where they'd be able to introduce evidence similar to what was put forward in the Delgamukistewe case, proving that they had the right to be on the lands that they've been removed from. Yeah, it's, it's scary. It's part of a trend. Uh, you can see the corporations developing a playbook, and I would say BC is their proving ground. There's uh, some underlying questions that I think our lawmakers need to consider um, so that this doesn't become a pattern. And one of those is why on earth are these companies being allowed to secure injunctions on unceded lands? I mean, it, it just it boggles the mind that uh, in places where uh, indigenous title has been proven or very close to it. You know, the idea that a corporation could then claim that as their sort of exclusive money-making corridor and get injunctions against the people whose land it is, 
it's sickening. And I think that that needs to change and, and the BC government needs to revisit its policy around injunctions, especially where the, the underlying land title is in question. And I think that there's, there's also questions around private prosecutions. Is this a tool that we want to keep in the legal arsenal in British Columbia? And again, this is up to our lawmakers and the people we elect uh, as much as they try to dodge responsibility and avoid the conversation, especially when it comes to Indigenous people and pipelines, this is in their ball court. They have a responsibility here to step in and to set laws and policies that uh, that will lead to something approximating justice. And frankly, in a province where we've passed the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People as a provincial law, and every other law is supposed to take that into consideration, you know, keeping these archaic practices on the books, corporations privately prosecuting Indigenous people on injunctions on an unceded land, it, it just, uh, uh, it's a relic of the past. And I think that in, in light of BC's commitment to the UN declaration, that we've got to get rid of both of these things and, and prevent this from becoming a playbook that's used by corporations all over BC and Canada. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. There's lots of uh, good food and karaoke. And, um, you know, honestly, the, the rail camp has become a real community hub, especially in, in cold weather, you know, distributing meals and, and hand warmers and uh, naloxone and uh, giving people a place to warm up. And, um, and, and you know, in a, in a pandemic and when it's minus 35, these kinds of spaces are, are are very rare and, and precious. And it's been really wonderful to be just a small part of supporting that and uh, to see the the resolve uh, of these families and, and just the love that people have for their land. And yeah, to see the sacrifices that people have made so that their kids don't have to get dragged through court. I, I think it's really been been heartening in any way that you can support the, the legal defense fund or just help get the story out, I think would be would be wonderful. So yeah, thanks for putting a spotlight on it today. Well, I'm sitting here trying to relocate my consciousness. Remember to own my own mind and its significance. Remember to open my eyes to the universe's hint since trying to keep life's balance is often hit a miss. And if we don't take the time to listen to our heart speak, we might often find ourselves tongue and cheek. Cause it's hard speaking our feelings if we don't know what they are. How do we take charge of a purpose or a want to know the value of this earth? Take the time to know yourself. It's up to you and no one else. So no one what you do, do what you know, listen to your inner voice, connect to the flow, I said yay. So here's a little postscript. Just last week, January 26th, 2022, Spokwa and the other 11 arrested in 2020 got notice from CN's lawyers that the company was not going to proceed with a prosecution of either civil or criminal contempt charges against them for breach of the injunction. They will be seeking further clarification on status of the CN injunction and civil suit for $270 million. To keep abreast of this story, subscribe to Raven's newsletter by visiting raventrust.com forward slash connect. Thanks for listening. Raven Debriefs is launching our third season of this podcast in spring 2022. 
In the meantime, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much to Miss Panic Danik for today's music and to our guests, Kai Nagata and Chris Statnik. This episode was produced by Andrea Palferman and I'm Susan Smitten. Thanks so much for lending us your ear. This is for the peeps who told me what I was not. Tried to muzzle all my thoughts, tried to lock me in a box for. I know now they were behaving weak and sour, abusing their power. I like to take it back now for. They all told me to shut my mouth. And now it's time that they are all called out. Cause words and munitions for musicians are weapons. So speak them up loud, speak them up proud. No time for self-doubt. I said, yeah, yeah.